Welcome to the Aspen Chapel podcast with Nicholas and Heather Vesey. And so ahead of Nicholas's talk, and from this, from this deeper place of listening, let's hear the reading for today. It's from Luke chapter 2, verses 22. When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, Every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed by him, to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, This child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped there with fasting and prayer night and day. At that moment she came and began to praise God and to speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. When they had finished everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom and the favour of God was upon him. Thanks, Heather. Well, on Christmas Eve, uh, I was commenting on the fact uh, that in T.S. Eliot's poem, The Journey of the Magi, the Magi came to the place where Jesus was born and found it satisfactory. A shockingly downbeat appraisal, satisfactory, until you realise that the word actually means making things right. Uh, From the late Middle English, meaning leading to the atonement of sin. That was the original meaning of the word satisfactory, to make factory content satisfy. So it's all about putting things right. And the idea of satisfactory means just being okay was really only from the 17th century. So the kings felt content that things had been put right 
in their discovery of Jesus. It's almost as if in seeing the face of Jesus, the kings had a reset of their world view. Later, it, it says in the poem, we return to our palaces, these kingdoms, but no longer at ease here in the old dispensation with an alien people clutching their gods. They'd reset their worldview on life. And I think at Christmas, that's what we're supposed to do, to reset our worldview. By seeing the divine in the face of the Christ child, everything is made well. There was a, an atonement for all that had gone before, and the kings arrived, therefore, in a state of contentment. And as I said on Christmas Eve, it's not the fireworks of the shepherds seeing the angels and the heavenly hosts. This is something deeper and more permanent. The contentment that comes with the peace that passes all understanding. And in our spiritual life, we're often looking more for the fireworks of peak experiences than we are for the deep contentment of everyday life that is satisfactory. But in reality, that which ultimately transforms is not the fireworks, but that steady peace. Because the lesson here is that when you touch the divine, when you're in the presence of the greater self, then all the anguish goes away. That anguish is characterized in the definition of the word sin. Now, we think of sin as being doing something wrong, but it's really the anguish we feel in not being in the presence of the divine. That's sin, the anguish that we feel in not being in the presence of the divine. We feel it in the wrongs that we think we've done, and we feel it in the things that we've not done and the things that have been done to us. Those, those great words from the great confession. We have erred and strained from thy ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We've offended against thy holy laws. We have left undone those things we ought to have done, and we have done those things we ought not to have done. And there is no health in us. Those lovely old words. All of that is the experience of not being in the presence of the divine. The joy of Christmas is the message that we can be in the presence of the divine. And as we enter into that presence, as the kings did in the manger, all the anguish of daily life falls away into this experience that is satisfactory, that brings contentment. That's not to say that we don't feel pain. That wouldn't be possible. And even the kings acknowledged that pain in saying that they were no longer at ease in the same dispensation. Instead, it means that the pain is in a greater context, the context of being in the presence of the divine. And that brings a joy alongside the pain. Thomas Merton puts it, like this in his book, New Seeds of Contemplation. My chief care is not to find pleasure or success, health 
or life or money or rest or even things like virtue and wisdom. Still less, their opposites, pain, failure, sickness and death. But in all that happens, my one desire, my one joy should be to know here is the thing that God has willed for me. In this, his love is found. Here is the thing that God has willed for me. In this, his love is found. And in accepting this, I can give back his love to him and give myself with it to him. For in giving myself, I shall him and he is everlasting life. In giving myself, I shall find him and he is everlasting life. That is the new dispensation that the kings talk about. Same world, but living in the face of the divine. And by accepting all things from him, Merton continues, I receive his joy in my soul, not because things are what they are, but because God is who he is and his love has willed my joy in them. And in opening to the experience of the divine, we therefore utterly transform our experience of life. Our petty quarrels become nothing. Our pain is as a part of who we are and is given to transform the circumstances of our life and become the word of God made flesh. Because all of it, all of it is the incarnation, the spirit made flesh in all that surround us. We're literally swimming in the divine and our cares and our joys are but seaweed floating around us. That's what the joy of Christmas is. That's a discovery of Christmas. As Walt Whitman says, in the faces of men and women, I see God. And in my own face, in the glass, I see God. I find letters from God dropped in the street and every one of them is signed by God's name. I leave them where they are, for I know that others will punctually come forever and ever and find them. To live in the presence of the divine, in the incarnation, in the word made flesh, is to realise that it is all around us. As it says in Acts, in him we live and move and have our being. That's the promise of Christmas. That's what the king saw in the face of the Christ. And that's the joy we're reminding ourselves of at this time. The joy to the world is the joy that we live in contentment, whatever our circumstances. If we are willing to be open to the divine being in our lives, then we can live in contentment. But often we're not willing to have that be in our heart. We want to be right. We want to blame others for our circumstances, for our pain. We feel guilty for what we've done and for what we've left undone. We feel that we've not measured up because the view of others is what we care about most. We care about controlling our circumstances. We care more about our popularity, our wealth, our material well-being. That is all to live on the outside, to not live at the centre of things in the divine. That's why the prophet says, 
The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. It is the light of Christ, the light of the divine that illuminates all our anguish and allows us to live in contentment. In that wonderful reading we had earlier, which is the reading set uh, in the lectionary for today all over the world, both Simeon and Anna had that experience of seeing the divine in the face of Jesus. It was what they'd looked for all their lives, and they felt it had been promised to them. That's how many of us who are on a spiritual path feel. We feel deep within us the the promise of eternal peace, even if we don't experience it on a day-to-day basis. We feel the promise. Both Simeon and Anna persevered in that hope, in that faith, in that sense that it was coming to them. And I think we have to do that too. In spite of all that ails us and irks us, we have to look within to that promise of eternal peace and not let the world around us drown it out. We have to prioritise it and nurture it, not knowing when it will spring into new life as we allow ourselves to behold the face of the divine, be it in the face of somebody else, in the vista of a mountain, in moments of peace, or even in just an idle glance. Simeon saw it in the face of Jesus, and his response is what we now call the nunc dimittis, the Latin nunc for now, dimittis, let your servant depart. That famous poem Lord, let us now, thy servant, depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, to be a light to lighten the Gentiles and to be the glory of thy people Israel. His eyes have seen the salvation. He has been saved from the anguish of life. Not only that, but he sees this available to all people, to give light to all people, he says, and allow them to live in that divine nature. And and the old woman, Anna, saw it too. And we are to see it. We are to be prepared to live in the temple of our spiritual practice. Our temple is our spiritual practice, however lowly we may see it, and be prepared to be amazed at any moment, like Simeon, and Anna were. That's the hope and promise of what Christmas is about. But you know, that old thing, Christmas is not just for Christmas, it's about all year round. We just remind ourselves at this time of what it's all about. That we too can find our lives to be satisfactory. That we too can experience ourselves within the ocean of the divine. That we too can lay down the burdens that we carry. Come to me, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That is the promise of atonement. That is the contentment, the laying down of the burdens. And when I had the icon that I I use uh, for my spiritual practice, I had that painted by somebody, and and they said, what verse would you like to have on the little Bible bit? And you can see the icon on on the service sheet um, that I've uh, put on the website. And I ask for those words to be, to be put on it. Come to me, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Too often we 
simply struggle to be good, weighed down by our cares and our woes, when the portal into the divine is always open for us to walk through if we could but choose it. And we can make that choice daily in our prayer life, in our meditation practice. In this very moment, we can make that choice. That's the point of practice. It's to practice opening ourselves to the face of the divine and letting go of the cares of the rational mind, of living with our hearts connected to the divine and so allowing the joys and the woes of the circumstances of our lives to be contained by something far larger until one day when we don't have to practice and it's just there all the time. We're living in it and with it, no matter what happens to us. And we too can then say, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, to be a light, to lighten the people, and to be the glory of all the world. Amen. So, you know, I think that uh, quite often the last thing we want to lay down is our burdens. We will just stick to them and carry them. And we give ourselves all the reasons as to why we should keep on feeling our burdens all the time. Um, and therefore, you know, it's so difficult to, to put them down and say, no, it's okay. I, I am content. Well, that, that was the one bit from your talk that really, that really impacted me, and I love that bit on your icon. You come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And the next bit, which um, um, that goes, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And I feel like when I was listening to, to that, um, I just have this image in, in my mind of, uh, like, we don't think too much about what, what that really means, the yoke. You know, like, Jesus offering to us, uh, like, that, that wooden yoke between two animals um, that basically is saying, you know, let's do this together. Like, let's go through life together, sharing. Sh- let me share the burden with you. But, you know, take my yoke. It's almost like, let your yoke go. But there's something about Christ's yoke that if we take it and, and go together, it lightens the load, it's easy, it's gentle. And I, I just feel inspired, like at the end of this year, going into a new year, that's such a cool invitation to, um, to, to receive that invitation of being accompanied and of Christ sharing our burdens, our life situation, like traveling together, like those two animals sharing a yoke. <laughs> yeah, I think that yoke thing goes into the, into, into the Acts of the Apostles. But I think Paul talks about kicking against the pricks. And kicking against the pricks is when the animals were both yoked together, they, they kicked back to try and get out of the yoke. And we, we do that. We, we kick against it. We fight against. And we won't just allow ourselves into that period, that, that, that contentment that is available to us. And, you know, our minds are continually wandering around the place thinking, you know, what have I done wrong? You know, what are they thinking of me now? What have I got to worry about next? Whereas taking on that yoke is simply to allow the, you know, the, the present moment to bathe us. Yeah, and just, just to feel like that 
to know that we are so accompanied, that we're so not on our own. And, and I really, I was thinking about this this morning, um, the yoke, like for each of us, it's almost like that, I feel like that's a lifelong um, exploration. What, what does that yoke mean? Like how do I live into that truth? So, and that's the key thing, isn't it, that we're not on our own. You know, we do feel very much that we are on our own. You know, we get up on our own, we wash on our own, we do our teeth on our own, get dressed on our own. <laughs> but actually, practice is to say, no, you are upheld. You are swimming in this ocean if you did but know it, if your mind could not, you know, but rest in it. Yeah. And, and another thought I had was, um, I've been recently exploring the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, yeah. which was, you know, which is actually really short and was only discovered not that long ago. By Cynthia Brugeau, uh, the, 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 the book you've been reading about that, is that? Well, well the, the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, I mean, she, she's written a ton about that. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so, and there's, a, there's just one line in there that just, I just love, and it's just simply, the good, that, with a capital G, the good has come amongst you and is pursuing you. And there's something about that, that, you know, we spend our lives, you know, trying to, trying to be in God's presence and trying to do what we have to do our end spiritually. But the fact that, and this is the whole message of the incarnation, isn't it? That the good has come to us, like, that is reaching, always reaching towards us and um, is pursuing us. And I, I just love that. It's like, it, it's not all down to us. It's like we're met. We're met. We, we, we do our bit and we're met. And we have to give up. And when we give up, then it meets us. Exactly, We yeah. don't want to give up. That's the point we But we can give up. Give yeah. up our struggles. Yeah, just re- surrender and receive. Yeah. Receive it, yeah. Good. Thanks for listening. If you feel moved to make a donation to the chapel, please go to aspenchapel.org. Thank you. And if you'd like to receive these podcasts regularly, subscribe to the Aspen Chapel through Apple, Google Play, YouTube or any other outlet.